Hello. We're starting a new series looking at the parables of Jesus under the title The Parables of the Kingdom. And there are three main sections of these next uh, 12 studies. There's going to be a look at the kingdom explained and then the kingdom displayed and then the kingdom to come. And we're starting uh, this week with the purpose of parables as we look at how these parables explain the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son and his teaching and these amazing parables rich with truth to help us to understand your kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Lord, help us to grasp what your kingdom is. Help us, Lord, to grasp how to live as members of your kingdom and help us to look forward with great hope to the kingdom as it will be, the kingdom to come. Lord, please help us as we look at your word now. In Jesus, your son's name. Amen. I'm going to ask Joel now to give us our Bible reading. Thank you. Matthew 13, 1-17 That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have... Even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, through hearing, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For the, heart, for the people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ear, ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. The Purpose of Parables Matthew thirteen, ten to 17 now you've got a friend or a family member with whom you share the gospel. You explain it clearly, the problem of sin, the coming of Jesus to save them, his death and his resurrection, and you appeal to them to believe. They listen and they seem interested, but then later they avoid the issue, the trail seems to go cold, and they're not willing any more to discuss it properly. However, little comments they make, offhand remarks or little incidents in your life with Jesus you take those chances to respond, 
to at least offer another chance to talk more about Jesus. You intrigue them with an answer to prayer or the testimony of a, a new convert. You dangle little lines to see if they will take a bite. Jesus has plainly told the people, repent and believe the gospel. For months the clear message has gone out. Proof that Jesus really wants to, to press on them and the problem is hearts are getting harder. By Matthew 13, Jesus changes tack. Rather than continuing with his plain teaching, he's telling them stories. Earthly stories with heavenly meanings. He's dangling out lifelines, chances for people to be intrigued and to bite, and to get more, or a chance to let the stories lie like seed on the pathway, never penetrating into their souls. Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Now, what's led up to that day? Well, Jesus begins his ministry around spring AD 27 with his message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew 4, 17. He sets out the attitudes and the standard of behavior for those who are part of that kingdom in the Sermon on the Mountain. He has performed a number of signs that reveal that he is God's son and he's been preaching a clear message of repentance. But already opposition from the religious leaders has been heating up. They've accused him of driving out demons with the devil's power. Despite the large crowds of people following him around, Jesus has already encountered a general spiritual unresponsiveness in the nation. And about some of the towns he'd been to, he has to say some cutting words. For example, Matthew 11, verse 20. Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So despite the fact that large crowds were still attracted to Jesus, he was discerning a hardening of hearts. The simple message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near was a message that people were responding to superficially. They were liking certain aspects of what Jesus had to say, but they were finding ways to avoid the cutting edge, the how I need to change aspect. Matthew 13 verse 1 That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Well, it's now the towards the end of AD 27, maybe the beginning of AD 28. Now, what had happened earlier that precise day? Matthew 12, verse 1. We see an incident. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And on that day, Jesus heals. Then verse 14, The Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Verse 22, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, 
but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then we come to chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables. Well, later that day, in verse 10, we see the disciples come to him and ask, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, Jesus has used parables before this point, but it seems that Jesus is now telling parable after parable to the crowds all through the rest of the day. Verse 34 says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. And in the parallel passage in Mark 4, verse 33, says, With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So the disciples are noticing this and they ask why. Back to Matthew 13, verse 11, Jesus replies, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Now, what is a parable? A parable is a, an illustration, a comparison. It's like this, and the this explains the subject. Sometimes it's a simple comparison, like yeast working in the dough. Sometimes there's more of a story, like the parable of the sower or the prodigal son. But the object or observation in the little story helps us to understand it. And the it is the kingdom of heaven. The parables we're looking at are parables that help to explain and help us to understand the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus answers that the reason why he teaches the people differently now is that they, the disciples, have something that many of the people don't have. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Now, why do the disciples have it? Why does Jesus give the disciples more straight teaching and not just the stories he gives to the crowds? Well, because the Spirit of God has created a spiritual ability in their souls to grasp that message of repentance, and it's gone deep. Now, they don't understand everything yet by a long, long way, but they have got a heart that grasps the heart of the message, and there's a willingness to know more and to go deeper. Therefore, Jesus will speak more plainly to them. But to the crowds, he now speaks in parables. Verse 13. This is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. And there he quotes the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. Now, of course, many of the people had responded enthusiastically at first to the plain message. But now... They're picking and choosing what they want to hear. And they're learning to avoid the search beam of the Spirit in their hearts. Now let me ask you a question. Do you remember a time in your life where you read the Bible, you heard a sermon, and you were moved and passionate about putting it into practice? And even when you were challenged and felt it a struggle, you couldn't feel at peace until you obeyed the implications of the teaching that you'd received. But now, you know the tricks. You know where the shadows are to avoid the searchlight. You know when the punchlines are coming in the sermon and how to avoid them. 
and your conscience is tougher than it used to be. Well, many of the people in the crowds had gone far down that route. Some, of course, had started to avoid the punchlines right from the beginning. And verse 15, Jesus says, For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Now, the parables are rich for careful hearers. Notice that Jesus tells parables to the crowds with an appeal. Verse 9, Whoever has ears, let them hear. So the parables are the teaching that the people in Israel need. They are rich minds of truth, and they will do them good if, if they take them seriously and hear with care. Now, Sherlock Holmes, in the fictional account, asked Watson if he had observed the stairs up to Holmes' rooms. Well, yes, of course, he replies. But then Holmes asks, how many steps were there? Watson doesn't know. Sherlock points out that Watson has seen, but not observed, the stairs. Now, part of the use of parables was a consequence of the hard-heartedness of the Israelites, as prophesied by Isaiah. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. It was clear to all who looked at the teaching and the miracles of Jesus that God was at work that the kingdom of heaven was near. But many had hardened their hearts to the implications of Jesus' teaching. They were physically there hearing, but not truly observing. The people had lost the honour of being spoken to plainly and directly by God's Son. So now he was going to speak to them in ways which would, if you like, bring out those who wanted to know more and allow the hard-hearted to be confirmed and hardened even more. The parables were not told to arbitrarily obscure the message, but because the people have not responded to the plain teaching that Jesus has been giving since the springtime for three quarters of the year, roundabouts. Jesus is taught and is healed, but instead of listening and responding to what he has already said, they are getting indifferent to it. If they had truly listened, if their hearts were not calloused, they would have turned and he would have healed their souls. So how important it is to respond to the invite. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Verse 12 says, Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. We can gain more if we listen and, and listen with a responsive heart. But we can lose what we have if we allow our hearts to harden. To hear God comfort or even rebuke and challenge us is awesome. To not be able to hear from God is terrifyingly lonely. Now let's look at this phrase, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. The disciples have been blessed with the ability to see and hear, a privilege and a great responsibility. Verse 11, in reply to their question, why he teaches in parables the Lord says the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but not to them and verse 16 but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear for truly I tell you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it 
a mystery or a secret in this case the secret of the kingdom of heaven is something that we can only know if God reveals it it's not necessarily hard to understand but the biblical idea of a secret or mystery is that we can't come to it without God showing us the kingdom of heaven is an empire of faith as, as once someone wrote it's not a physical country and that's one of the challenges to the thinking of the Jews in general that will come across through the parables of the kingdom for those who will listen so the followers of Jesus the king they're to grasp things that they can't see with their physical eyes they're to put them into practice in a world where the kingdom of heaven doesn't always seem to fit with the usual thinking Christians are called to live under the kingship of Jesus wherever they are and the Sermon on the Mount is the measure of life and attitudes and the great principles by which to fulfill their calling as citizens of the kingdom of heaven and so the secrets or the mysteries of this kingdom are revealed to certain people and the secrets the mysteries of the kingdom are revealed for a faithful response whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them you won't get the secrets if you don't have a heart to take what you learn further now are you worried about the implications that the disciples were given the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom where others obviously were not is that fair now it is difficult to understand but it is also clear from the interactions that we have leading up to this point over the course of the year that the religious leaders and many ordinary folk have made their own choices to resist and rebel against the clear message of Jesus. The fact that the disciples are given sight and understanding is down to God's sovereign mercy and we can't argue with him. But God has not pre-hardened anyone's hearts here. Their hardness is their own choice. Instead God has rather worked and melted hearts that would have continued to be hard work by his spirit to give spiritual sight and hearing to the blind and deaf so if you or I see anything from God let's not get big-headed about it but let's humbly thank God and do our utmost to grasp and apply it to our lives and we'll get more Jesus makes it clear that to the disciples that they have a responsibility to use what they are learning and then they will be given more but Jesus also challenges everyone in the crowds, the whole crowd, whoever has ears, let them hear. And so we see that there is an issue of human responsibility here. We talk about being dead in sins and then coming alive when we're saved. We talk about being spiritually blind and deaf and then being able to see and hear when we're born again. And these things are definitely true. Before God intervenes and saves us, we are unable to respond to God, cut off by our sins, without the ability to know God in a saving relationship. But sometimes we press these pictures of dead and blind and deaf to the point where we may view a non-Christian person as a robotic sinner with no moral responsibility and no ability to grasp any spiritual reality. And I think we need to take care. The first chapter of Romans shows us that the spiritual blindness of unbelievers is not a total lack of ability to see any truth about God, 
All human beings who live to any age of perception are able to grasp something so that no one has any excuse to object God, to God's existence. Romans 1 verse 18 talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. There were people in the Bible who professed to believe, who experienced an amount of enlightening, but in the end they never became Christians. They saw something, but they didn't follow on, even after an initial interest. There comes a point or points in life when people have a moment when something in creation speaks to them of God, when they see a Christian's kindness, when they witness the, the birth of a child or, or see a providential coincidence, when they hear something of the gospel and they have a choice, a choice to pursue that moment, to seek God or to leave the moment as it stands and carry on life without reference to God. The Apostle Paul suggests that all people have enough to start a serious search for God. In Acts 17, verse 26, From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. You see, even though it is severely damaged by sin, human beings are still made in God's image. And therefore, we are responsible moral beings. We are able to reject and to be responsible for the choice that we have made. And the challenge to everyone listening to the parables and to us now is, do you really want to know more about God's kingdom? Then listen well. Seek more. Think deeply. Apply it to your life. The disciples referred to here in Matthew 13 are, if you like, on the other side. They have been given eyes to see and they have ears to hear. So the parables are for them too, but in a deeper way. And they're also for us. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we have the privilege of being able to use our opened eyes and our hearing ears to dig and to learn and to unpack the mysteries, the truths once hidden and now revealed by God. On the one level, to the hardened heart, the parables will expose or confirm that hardness of heart because the seed will just lie shallowly on the paths of, our, of their hearts. They, they won't bother to dig deeper, to understand and apply them to their minds and lives. There'll be nice stories, maybe with a moral or two, like Aesop's fables. But as we come with a spiritual hunger to know more and more and to change to live out the principles of Christ's kingdom of heaven, then we are on an exciting journey of life-changing discovery. The Holman New Testament commentary says this. This has application even today. It is a dangerous thing to hear and understand God's truth and then to consciously choose to disbelieve it. Such people will become less and less aware of their own doom as they slide deeper into denial of the Messiah. However, those who respond to God's word with open hearts will find an ever-widening road to further insight 
and reward. So over these next weeks, are you prepared to join us on a journey of discovery, a life-changing discovery, a challenging discovery, a discovery of truth that is going to cut right to the depths of our hearts, challenge the way we think, the, the way that we live, the way that we speak, our priorities. Are you willing to come on this journey? I hope you will. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this introduction to the parables, the purpose of, par of parables. And Lord, we thank you that we can see there are truths applicable to all of us. Lord, we pray for any of us whose heart is still hard. Maybe we're not even yet a Christian and we are resisting what we know, what we know we need to do to repent and to believe in Jesus, your Son. Lord, please soften that heart, Lord. Soften that heart. Lord, we may have become a Christian, but maybe there are certain areas of our lives where we are resisting your voice, holding out on this life-changing experience because, to be honest, Lord, we're, we're struggling to be willing to change. Lord, please help us. Speak to us. Lord, help us to hear and to respond to your voice. And Lord, we pray that we would grow in Christ-likeness, grow in understanding of your kingdom, how to live in it. Lord, as we look at these parables over these next weeks, and we pray for your blessing and help. In Jesus' name, amen.